This is the What is Black podcast, where we aim to defy the myth of a black monolith. For more information visit whatisblackpodcast.com. This mixcast is brought to you in part by the Pittsburgh Office of Public Art. For more info visit opapgh.org. What's up, everybody? This is Jason McCoy back again for the What is Black podcast, and I'm sitting here with Aaron Clark. What's up, Aaron? Hey, how's it going? It's uh, it's going pretty well. Um, right before like I got on this call with you, I was watching YouTube, and it's this channel called uh, Defiant Digital, and it made me think about how far like Black media has come, because growing up. Um, I don't want to date you or anything like that, but like growing up, I, we only had BET basically. And like, you know, the occasional black programming on MTV. And now with the internet being the way that it is, it's got, you're seeing a lot more creative black content. That's like more relatable to a wide breadth of black audiences, as opposed to like a singular vision of like, this is what you're going to get. And it's weird, like, because now it's like things seem way more relevant, the more power it's taken out of the network hands than um, than what the network used to just control what we saw and, you know, how we spoke even. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely understand that because when it comes to uh, publishing, I feel the same way. So now there's a few more avenues in terms of us getting our stories out. Um, and for a long time, the publishing industry treated us like a monolith. So, you know, we were, we were kind of like this, this, um, it was a, just black readership in general. We didn't have a whole lot of, uh, diversity there. So it was political books, you had Walter Mosley and everything else in between. Right. right, right. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how, how it's been. And so, you know, for a long time, they didn't even think we, we were high in terms of high levels of readership. You know, we were just kind of like there was black women who read the most and then there was everybody else. Right. It was like the and whole, so, you know, <laughs> the whole niggas don't read. <laughs> type thing. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's honestly what that I mean, up until I would say about I would give them five years ago that started to shift a little bit. Um, and I think uh, last summer we saw this in, in this almost complete 360 where now the publishing industry was able to survive based on people purchasing books that dealt with systemic racism. And so that was basically a, a, a result of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And so you have people who are looking for these books to read up and to learn more. Uh, but, you know, prior to that, it's like, <laughs> nothing changed. It was really, right. <laughs> it was really just, this, you know, this, the same old, same old, you know, it's welcome. Um, but you know, in the publishing industry, a lot of black authors, we, we ask ourselves, we'll be seeing this before. How long will it, will it last? You know? Yeah. It sucks that it takes, like, it took like, you know, tragedies. And now again, with the internet being involved, it's easier for people to share information quickly. Like it's like things move at the speed of the internet or your Wi-Fi connection. And it sucks that like, it's like a mixed blessing. I kind of see it as, cause it's just like, while it is dope, it's just like people have been saying these things or like, you know, there has been this, these black creative voices out for years, like years and years. And it took like these tragedies for people and black people 
I'm talking about like not mostly non-black audiences, predominantly white audiences be like, oh, things are bad. <laughs> I didn't know they were this bad. <laughs> Wait, you mean yeah. there's still racism? <laughs> People are still getting killed because of the color of their skin? No. Yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> that's, and it's sad, but that is what it, what it takes. I think, you know, people need those, these dr- dramatic events to, to essentially shake them out of this, this bubble, you know, this kind of apathetic bubble that they live in, you know, because if it doesn't have any impact on their lives, they don't think it's out there. They don't think it's real. Um, and so for a long time, you know, these ideas of police brutality have almost existed like myths within certain communities where, oh, it's not that bad. They're exaggerating. No, <laughs> we've, exi- we've, we've dealt with this from day one. It's just different versions of it. But, you know, the same idea of policing black bodies is, has, has existed forever, you know, as long as we've been around. Right. Police in this country. Exactly. And so it's like you, that brings up an interesting point because in your book, Under the Color of Law, there was this, like a, a line that really stuck out to me, and I'm not spoiling it, just so everyone knows, but uh, there's a line in here that says, quote, as my father likes to say, there are no liberals in L.A., just white folk and whiter folk, and both will call the police when they see you in their neighborhoods. And that line, yeah. like, struck me like a sucker punch to the gut, because it's, <laughs> it's true. It's just like, because my wife and I talk about it, it's just like, really like there's there's like the myth of the white liberal and like i was just like i don't think it actually exists i think there's just like you know white people and then there's like white people will you pronounce the h <laughs> at before the w <laughs> and so like yeah i mean yeah <laughs> do you i mean that when I wrote that line, I was trying to encapsulate very much of what goes on here in LA, what I suspect probably goes on within, you know, other cities. But, you know, LA is supposed to be this, this mecca of liberalism, you know, this bastion of you could do whatever you want, no one's going to bother you, you know, everybody's free to be who they want in terms of identity. But I always remember something Paul Mooney said, um, the late comedian, when he was talking about uh, the number of race riots we've had in this city um and essentially his point was like if we're if this is such a liberal mecca then why do we have so many issues when it comes to race um why have we not moved on why was the rodney king beating not a turning point that it should have been in terms of uh looking at how how the LAPD and other police departments uh, police their citizens. Um, that should have been, that should have sent shockwaves to the department and change, big changes, major sweeping changes should have happened, but that didn't happen because then we had more incidents after the after that. And so, you know, when I wrote that line, that's what I was thinking. I was, th- I was thinking, you know, there are, this liberal is a myth. I don't know them. If, they out, if they're out there, I don't know them. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I've never seen them before. They, you know, that's like, it's like a unicorn. I, right. I, I hear rumors, but I've never seen it. You right. know? So it's like maybe at one time they existed in a different form, but they certainly don't exist now. <laughs> yeah, they're not around. So you are an L.A. native, correct? Yes. Okay. So L.A. native... 
born, bred, and raised. How do you go from, like, you know, however your ch- your childhood, growing up to being a uh, police recruit, and then working in Hollywood and writing? Like, what's that? How'd that uh, narrative vector go? Well, so I started in um, what I would say kind of the creative realm. So I started uh, uh, in film school, and that's kind of how how everything. Um, creative life started with me. I mean, prior to that, and then some of it is in the book inspired a little bit by real life, but prior to that, I wasn't, I was interested in visual art and I was pretty sure I was going to go to some kind of art college university and, and, and focus on painting. Um, but ultimately I got bit by the film bug and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to film school. And so, uh, while in film school, I realized I really liked screenwriting. I liked creative writing and, and that was something I wanted to focus on. And so I focused on that. Um, and unfortunately, like many millennials, uh, when I got out of school, I realized I'm not going to make any money. You know, I was I needed to figure something out. Um, I come from a long line of of, of um, people who work within uh, law enforcement and work within the government, um, you know, veterans. And, you know, within the black community, we often say, go get you a good government job mm-hmm. get you a job that's going to have that paycheck there benefits a pension and then if everything else you want things you want to work on if those things don't work out at least you have you have vested your time into something that will yield a retirement and you know that i was at that kind of turning point i had already written my first novel um it, you know and, and it was like modest success but you know i wasn't i couldn't eat off off of that you right. know i mean i the, the royalties were pretty minuscule so um, you know, I kind of had to figure things out. And so that led me to, to, um, look into LAPD with the idea that, uh, you know, I could still kind of spend my time there, move into the communications department or do something else that wasn't uh, necessarily on the street. Cause there's tons of jobs. There. That's one thing I can say about, about the department is that there is a plethora of jobs you could do. Um, they had, they even had filmmaking in there where people were, were doing the, um, the uh, promotional material and commercials. So I was like, oh, you know, I, I could do that. Two years on the street, transfer into, you know, another department uh, where I can actually use my creative skills. Uh, sounded good, you know. Um, ultimately, when I got into the academy, um, I ended up getting injured, which you can only miss so many classes within there before they essentially they call it separation they separate you mm. and so that's what happened and so you know the good thing was i already had a career prior to it i had already been a college professor um, i had already taught um, uh, over at Venice high school i had you know some experience under my belt um and so that that allowed me you know to to go in or another route um but i mean if anything i would say when it comes when it when it boils down to it in my decision, you know, to join LAPD, while it was that financial aspect and security, want to have security in life, I still wanted to better my community. It was like something that had always kind of existed in the back of my head. So it was writing and then it was law enforcement. And, um, you know, I was at a point where I said, okay, well, at least I could say I tried it, you know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't work. Maybe I, I would have been sworn and could have hated it after two years and went on as I else. But at least, I mean, I've always been that kind of person. I said, at least I gave it a shot, you know, um, see what type of impact I could have within the community, uh, you know, and see where, where that would go. Right. Yeah. And cause like, 
I mean, it's just like it's no secret, like the history that like uh, between black community and law enforcement. And it's I can see someone wanting to get in and like make that like make the make that change or be the change like you know be like no i'm gonna like be the wrench in the works that actually makes a difference and everything like that and in your character finn in under the color of law goes through all that you outline it like through that character through all that and as i'm reading it i'm just like i can feel like the tension that like you know that he's feeling and i can only imagine like that tension with the like within like you and other black police officers that that go they go through because it's just like there's the job and then there's wanting to do better and like make your community better and then there's also like oh shit i'm still black (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean once if you're not in that uniform you know there is a level of of um protection that kind of comes with this idea that hey i'm a police officer i can flash this badge and you know, people are going to have to kind of respect me. Right. Uh, and so, and I, and I saw that, I mean, I, I put a lot of that in the novel because I thought that, that was something that was really real. That was something mm. that I saw all the time. Um, and then you also see it kind of on these, these massive scales um, that are not always positive, right? Rafael Perez, uh, you know, who, who essentially inspired Denzel Washington's character in training day, right? He, he took it to the max, you know, he, right. he thought he was untouchable. You know, um, and the things he was doing in terms of, of out of out of the uh, Rampart division. So, you know, I I I I looked at it as what does the badge represent? What would that represent for a black person um, or a person of color? Um, where does that move them within the you know the social ladder? Um, and and it becomes almost like this this ace in their pocket where it's like, hey, you have to respect me, right? Because I'm I'm this, I'm that, I'm a police officer. Uh, but we did see with January 6th that none of that really matters. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? exactly. I mean, the things they were saying to those brothers, I'm like, you know, none of that matters at yeah. the end of the day, you know? Yeah, and I think that was like a huge, um, like, come to Jesus, look at the mirror reflecting back at you moment for a lot of people. It was just saying like, oh, wait, these are law enforcement. They're like enforcing the law, doing what is right. And yet you have all these wild people just showing up and storming the Capitol, not giving a damn, even though they're the ones who are saying like, you know, blue lives matter, police lives matter, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. they're allegedly huge proponents of that idea. And yet here they are completely disrespecting the badge, <laughs> like not giving a damn about like blue lives or anything like that. And it just goes to show like, you know, I mean, white supremacy, like Trump's all of that. Mm-hmm. So, it's, no, I was just gonna say that myth of 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 you know privilege, you know mm-hmm. this idea um, that that certain people are sitting at the top of this hierarchy goes to show folks that that is so powerful that they will run up on police officers quick, yep. jam them in hallways, and ultimately kill them because they don't see any repercussion coming their way. I mean, that's frightening. People want to talk about, you know, I mean, it's, it's October, it's Halloween coming up, right. but that is, has got to be one of the most frightening, you know, monstrous things that exist, you know, in real life. I mean, the fact that that is so powerful 
that they will kill police officers and not think twice. Yeah, because like, and I'm a fan of like horror as a genre, but like the scariest thing in the world to me are actually like other people. <laughs> it's like hands down, yeah. humanity is absolutely frightening, capable of great good, but end of the day, I'm like scared of people more than anything. And so, oh yeah, it's and it's and it's wild. Um, so the events that take place in the book, um, the stuff that the the things that the character goes through in the book, and the professional interactions that the character has that Finn has in the book, um, a lot of times when he he's describing a situation or going through things, I was thinking it's just like, wait, I go through the same thing in my field. <laughs> like it's just like it's. Not just uh, happening to like police, black police officers. It's happened to black everybody. <laughs> just like the like interactions with like other like you know white coworkers or just how like the public sees you. It's like this is speaking to a like a greater universal black experience of just like you know trial after trial and having to constantly prove yourself, having to constantly be better than everybody else under a white magnifying glass in like a hundred degrees sunny heat so it's like how difficult is it to like take all of these ideas and like you know real world occurrences and commit them to a story on paper and then after that get it published for public consumption yeah i mean you know it's it's can I put this? <laughs> so before, I think before this whole kind of own voices movement and publishing, um, you know, I wrote I wrote a, a book that people might have deemed kind of controversial, but it was um, it was a novel called The Science of Paul, uh, and it centered on this ex-con who essentially has one goal, and it's to leave the you know this this situation he's in in Philadelphia and get to his grandfather's farm, who, who's passed away and left and left it there for him. And he encounters all these obstacles in the way. Um, and so when I, when I was writing that book and what's similar with that book and Under Color of Law is that there's always obstacles in the way. And that makes for wonderful conflict in a story. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'm always interested. The only thing I'm interested in writing is, is, is the truth and the truth in terms of my experience and, ex- and the experiences of those who look like me. Um, and that's what I know and that's what I choose to write about. Um, you know, was it a gamble to get the novel published because I'm, I'm looking at microaggressions because I'm, I'm, I'm diving deep into the black experience. Um, uh, truthfully, no, I think it has to do with the climate right now is that those were stories that people were interested in and, and reading. Um, but you know, again, is, is it what I, what I sell more books if that wasn't in there. Maybe if I just did, you know, I, I've read novels where the, the black detective, you wouldn't even know the detective was black, you know, right. with the exception of a few descriptions, you know, because the experience does it is very um, vague. Uh, you know, those experiences of microaggressions of interacting with people who um, who may see things differently in terms of of, of worldviews and philosophies that go against yours that are maybe in, in essentially you know, look at you a certain way because of the color of your skin. Well, if you scoop all that out, in my case, then it wouldn't be the same book. It wouldn't even be a book that I would want to write and definitely not one I would want to read. Right. It's almost like a, like, not to, like, uh, it doesn't divorce itself from the character, but it's almost like uh, blackness 
the blackness of the character is a character of its in and of itself because people are interacting yeah. with like the character's blackness and they're interacting with the character um, itself. Yes. And I think too, that, you know, as long as there's a, a compelling story, it, there's universal elements to it that people will always connect to. So even if it's someone who doesn't know anything about the black experience and can't necessarily connect with that part of it, they do know what it is to have a father or a parent that you don't get along with or that you don't see eye to eye with, um, or, or a father or a parent who, um, you know, uh, is not taking care of themselves very well, uh, who you see declining and you can't really do a whole lot about. Uh, so there's universal elements. There's universal elements of, of you know, grief, regret, um, trials and tribulations of love and, and, and relationships, uh, you know, that we have within life uh, that are not always healthy. Yeah, and it's like these like these stories that are like, you know, there are stories that are, you know, are parts of stories that are unique to the black experience. But for the most part, like, you know, a bunch of people can relate to being broke, for example, or impoverished. A bunch, a bunch of people can relate to being passed over for a job or something like that. Like there are within the black experience, a bunch of universal themes. And yet it feels like the rest, not, I can't even say the rest of the world. It's just like the rest of like the publishing world or the studio world, the rest of like the people who make chart creative decisions world. They still haven't caught up to that. And it still seems that there's like a huge, like, fear or backlash to it because like uh like one of my favorite superhero movies exact not a one of but my favorite superhero movies blade i love blade one two three i yeah yeah yeah. but one and two phenomenal (laughs) and it was just like how big of a risk that was to get like blade out as the first modern day superhero movie and it was just like when i saw like i love Wesley Snipes in it, you killed it. And just like the the oh, gamble yeah. that 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 was like um and even though like it was a story about uh Daywalker, uh vampire, half vampire, half human hybrid. Wesley Snipes still was black and I'm not talking about the his complexion. I'm talking about like he was black <laughs> in that. Like you could not yeah. see it and yet here was like this story of just like a uh, vampire human hybrid that was killing other vampires and so it's just like <laughs> how can you not see the potential for money here <laughs> <laughs> it, i agree um i think that's one of my one of my favorite comic book movies because in some ways i don't even i don't even look like look at it as a comic book movie um you know it was it was an action film with a brother who um was taken out you know, vampires, and again, saving the world, and having to do it in shadows, you know, behind the scenes, having to hide um, while he's risking his life out there for, you know, what what they say in the film, you know, essentially human cattle, right? Um, and, and and at the same time, you know, what I loved about, and I forget which one it was, it might have been a, a later one where, um, you know, it showed the police you know, being, they were like the familiars, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the police were like working with the vampires, you know? So it's this whole kind of like idea, like, man, this brother's out here, he's taking, taking, you know, people out. They're vampires, right. but they also represent all these other institutions, you know? So it, you know, it's a trip, but 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was it, it did well. I mean, the first one uh, was was I mean, it, it, it did beyond what I think in the industry thought it would do um, for sure. Uh, but that was Wesley Snipes. That's the power of, right. you know, as he put, as he said in what Passenger Fifty Seven, always bet on always black. bet on black. Yeah, <laughs> one of the best, <laughs> the best Wesley lines ever. <laughs> I mean, he has some gems at Blade yeah. too, as well though, because like he's a motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. It's just like <laughs> oh, that could, yeah. nobody could have delivered that line the way that he did. Like that took like a specific uh, level of ethnicity for <laughs> to have that line actually yeah. land the way he did. And um, I forgot if it was the first or the second one. I think it was the first one um, where, like, they shot at him in the hospital and he just turned around and said, motherfucker, you got your mind? And I was just like, and it's like little things like that, like, resonated so hard with me. I was just, like, eating it all up. It's like, I don't even know how old I was when it came out, but I was eating it up. I was just like, yes, these are people I know on screen. And obviously, I don't know a half human, half vampire hybrid, but, like, I was just like, this is a character I can relate to. This is somebody who like I can like look up to. Um, and it took like, you know, years later, we got finally got a Black Panther movie, which is just like, you yeah. know, another phenomenon. And that like just like did like ridiculously well at the box office. And it took, you know, Marvel Disney to do that, which is just like, wow. Of all studios, I never would have expected Marvel like Disney to take such a risk given their history with yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, blacks in their media. So it was like, it's just wild to see like now it again, to my earlier point, like black media and like blacks in media just like are finally coming, like reaching a point where they can be like, they can headline movies or like, you know, books yeah. with the black characters. And it's like predominantly black uh, characters within the story will actually sell in studios and like producers, et cetera. They're actually seeing this now. Name of the book is called under color of law. Aaron, great speaking with you. Do you have anything you would like to make the world privy of plug promote, etc.? Uh, well, I mean, if you want to get in contact with me, uh, you can visit my uh, official website. It's Uh My novel is available through Amazon. It is Under Color, the, under color of Law. i got to get my own novel title right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also, it is the first book in a, in a series. So uh, be on the lookout for Blue Like Me, which is the second Trevor Finnegan uh, novel. Uh, that will be out uh, November 2022. Mm, cool. Yeah. Then, I mean, with the title like that, I can, I can't, I can imagine like where, <laughs> where that's going to go. Um, and last question I'd like to ask all my guests before departing is what is black? Oh, what is black? Um, black is being able to exist in a state of constant celebration despite any negativity despite obstacles despite all odds we get to continue to survive and thrive because that is what we are meant to do amazing uh, i could tell you're a writer <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for uh, taking the time to sit here and talk with me and, you know, just share what it's like to be Aaron Clark for about 30 to 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been a great, great conversation. No doubt. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. All right. You too. Be sure to grab a copy of the What is Black Mixcast scene at participating businesses and organizations for more in-depth content with all of our guests. Visit whatisblackpodcast.com for a list of distribution points on the regular as we are always updating. If you'd like to sponsor a distro point, or get your hands on a copy, email whatisblackpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.